y'all. This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet and you're just kind of testing the waters out, I just want to ask you formally, will you please go subscribe to this podcast? That would be awesome. That way you can stay up to date every time I release a new episode. So today we're going through the last segment taken from the Exponential Pre-Conference audio of 2020. And I hope that all these audio clips I've been sharing have been encouraging to you and have blessed you and helped you in some way. And this final clip, Shidanke is talking about being intentional when he starts new groups or plants new churches, about how he is always looking for natural born leaders because he's thinking about the end even as it gets going, which is multiplying the group, multiplying the church, you know, making disciples that make other disciples. So this audio is great because Shadonke goes into detail about some funny stories about how he tests these people out to see how good they are at leading and how well they react on their feet. So uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it and stick around after the commercial break because Bobby brings up Jim and Bill and Dave and Corey one more time to respond to Shadonke's teaching. So here we go. Let's dive in. I hope you enjoy it. I want to draw everyone's attention to the handout that you received when you came in. At the top, it says Activating Level 5 Disciple-Making Churches. Again, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, email us at info at discipleship.org and just ask for the Activating Level 5 Disciple-Making Churches handout. Um, Inside that handout, you'll see a description of Level 4 and Level 5 Disciple-Making Churches. The key thing about level five is that the multiplication has gone viral. Uh, People are discipling people who are discipling people who are discipling people, and it's almost impossible to keep track of who's doing it, where the baptisms are, where the churches are, uh, because the DNA is so simple, effective, and reproducible, and it's the culture, it's how everybody thinks, and that culture is easily communicated and so Shidanke is going to come up, and he's going to talk about embracing multiplication, what that means, how it looks, and uh, then we're going to have a conversation around it. And then very quickly, we're going to transition to the question, what can apply in North America from what Shidanke is saying? All right? Let me say a short prayer again, and we'll turn it over to Shidanke. God, thank you so much for blessing us with the knowledge of Jesus God, thank you for the uh, awesome responsibility of getting to lead in your kingdom and to lead in disciple-making in your churches. So, Lord, teach us, guide us, so that we have the joy of being fully engaged in the Great Commission. In Jesus' name, amen. In the discipleship wheel, you have the... You've started with prayer. That was the first thing. The pamphlets that were given to you. You start with prayer. And then you start with purpose. You find a person of peace. Then you start discovering Bible studies. And once you start discovering Bible studies, the next stage is you embrace multiplication. You embrace multiplication. I want to read some few passages and then we'll begin to talk about what that multiplication looks like. First, I'll read from Matthew 28. 
verse 19 to 20, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In Mark 16, verse 15 to 16, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Well, we all know as we look at the cycle that Jesus is in the business of multiplication. Jesus is clearly in the business of multiplication. God is a generational God. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's in a generational God. He's in the business also of multiplying. And that was part of the plan from the very beginning in Genesis, to multiply. So one of the things we do is that when you begin to discover Bible studies with a person of peace, and then that person of peace begins to invite other friends and family members to the Discovery Bible Studies, and the Discovery Bible Studies begins to grow, one of the things you want to do is that you want to keep the Discovery Bible Studies smaller so that at the end of the day, there will, people can interact with each other. So immediately, one thing you begin to do is that when I begin the Discovery Bible Studies, I am looking among the people that are coming to the Discovery Bible Studies, I'm looking for natural leaders. I begin to look for natural leaders as I do the Discovery Bible Studies. One thing that we all know is that natural leaders are easy to identify. They always show themselves, you know, wherever they are. So you look for those natural leaders. And those natural leaders, now what I would do is that after the Discovery Bible Studies, I have another time that I only meet with the natural leaders. I begin to meet with them, begin to get to know them, and begin to go deeper with the natural leaders. Why I'm doing the Discovery Bible Studies for everyone. And then I begin to coach these natural leaders in running a Discovery Bible Studies. I coach them in the process of doing it. So that is outside our normal meeting time. So I'm meeting with, this, with these natural leaders. There are times I hang out with them. We go for a soccer match. You know, where we are watching soccer, I am looking at them because I see how their emotions are. I look at a lot of things. There are times, you know, I, when I drive, I don't like driving slow. I like to drive very fast. So there are times I put it in a car and I really go very fast. And I'm looking at them. I'm seeing those who are brave enough, those who are scared. So I'm looking at all of that. <laughs> so as a leader, I'm, I'm picking something out of them. We go to restaurants. We go to eat. Of course, in Africa, there are times we eat with our hands because we believe that we have this African proverb that longevity is in the, is in the power of your hands. How much long you live depends on how much you can eat with your hands and take a lot of food. So we, we, we do all of that. But what I'm really doing is that I'm watching these leaders without saying a word to them. And I'm looking for things that we need to talk about. And through this process, a lot of things come out, stuff come out. And we, we, we kind of talk about those stuff that, no matter, that come out. Because these are going to be the guys that are going to lead the discovery Bible studies. So for the very first day, I'm looking for natural leaders. And I spend time with these natural leaders. And eventually, once I coach them to a point where I know they can also lead the Discovery Bible Studies. For example, if I have four or five of them, now immediately we have five Discovery Bible Studies. 
So we do it with the mindset of multiplying from the very onset. The mindset of multiplying. Now, these natural leaders are also coach. Now, if we have five Discovery Bible studies from this one Discovery Bible studies, they begin to lead their own studies. They are going to do the same. They are also going to look for natural leaders as they begin their Discovery Bible studies. To do the same thing that they have seen me do with them. And I want it to be very clear. We, after the normal Discovery Bible studies, we meet with leaders. We have times that we have leadership meetings and we go deeper with them. We ask them questions. What is working and what is not working? You know, what are some of the fears? What are some of the doubts? What are you struggling with? These are all things we discuss in the leadership meetings that we meet. But the goal here is that we embrace multiplication. What do we multiply? We multiply small groups. Small groups are multiplied. We also multiplied intercessors. From those groups, we know people. You know, everybody can pray. Everybody can pray. One minute, two minutes. But we have people that have the gift of intercession. And so we, we also begin to multiply the intercessors. People who will begin to pray. So we are multiplying intercessors. We are also multiplying leaders. Because a movement needs leaders. And one of the problems, one of the things that has affected movements is the inadequacy of having enough leaders in a movement. So from day one, we are, out of the, those that are disciples, we are raising leaders. But also, we don't only embrace intercessors, we don't only, I mean, multiply leaders or intercessors or small groups. We are also trying to multiply churches. For us, discipleship does not stop with only having a group of people that meet. No, it has to become a church. It has to become a church. And our own definition of a church is very simple. This is obedient followers of Jesus. Obedient followers of Jesus. And when we say obedient followers of Jesus, these people that have fallen in love with Jesus and just want to obey him. They become a church. But when they become a church, these are the functions that they do. And then the functions are outlined what they do. And those functions come from scripture. There's immediate baptism of what they do. They baptize immediately. You know, when they meet, they baptize. They have time to fellowship. They have time to, to sing together. They study the word together. You know, so there are a lot of functions that they perform. They energize the body of Christ. They help each other as a church. But they have to be followers of Jesus. So we, we multiply churches, we multiply leaders, we multiply intercessors, we multiply disciples. It's an ongoing process. And for us, as we multiply, building is not our major focus. So we normally say it's a byproduct of a growing church. It's a byproduct of a growing church. When the people begin to mature and they think, oh, we need something where we can meet great, no problem. But we don't start with that as a focus. Our focus is in the people, in the disciples. So we are multiplying all of these things together. So that's why we talk about embracing multiplication. So for example, in a town, we have urban church planting, we have rural church planting. It's very different. In urban areas and in rural areas. We focus on that. In every, if we go to nations, like big nations, where we go, in Dubai, in Kuwait, in some of these places, you know, there are bigger cities. There's an urban way to do it. There's a rural way to do it. Everywhere we go. And um, 
as we multiply these leaders, there are leaders who are very effective in planting churches in rural areas. But if you take them to urban areas, they will fail. And so we make sure they stick to rural areas where they know where God is using them. And they keep on doing the work in the rural areas. There are guys who are really good with urban church planting. And from the leadership profile, we know that they are really good with urban church planting. And we keep them in the urban areas to multiply churches in the urban areas. So among tribes, wherever we walk, we are planting churches both in the urban area and in the rural area. And we keep on multiplying disciples in urban areas. We multiply disciples in rural areas. When we are working among tribes, we do the same. So the principle of embracing multiplication is that whatever the Lord gives us, we try to multiply it. That is why, for example, if we have somebody come and teach in our context, the next thing we are going to do as leaders is that we turn around and sit down and say, how are we going to multiply this? Because the principle of multiplication is in our mind, it's part of the culture. Whatever we receive, we multiply. Whatever we receive, we multiply. We are very intentional in multiplication. And we don't apologize for it. We are very intentional in multiplying everything that we receive. Because that is the mandate. That is what Jesus asked his disciples to do. So when we embrace multiplication, we are really multiplying disciples. We are multiplying small groups. We are multiplying intercessors. We are multiplying leaders. And we are multiplying churches. So for us, it's not just stopping with a small group. It has to become a church. Where they begin to perform the functions of a church. And those functions of the church depend on the context where you find this. But the key ones of the function is that, you know, they will baptize, immediate baptism. They will share communion together. Break bread together. They will also be able to do the same thing. Do discipleship. Raise leaders from among them. They will have fellowship. They will have a worship and a fellowship among themselves. In their own local language. So these are key things that they begin to do. They help each other. And they are not only helping each other, they also try to energize others, maybe in the culture, that already know Jesus. So from the very first day we are doing, the church begins to do that, even when the church is young. It's not waiting until it's matured or have all the resources. They begin to do it at the level where they are. So one of the things we normally say is that we do with what we have until we get what we want. We do with what we have until we get what we want. So whatever we have at that moment, that is where we're going to start. We do with what we have. So many of the churches we are talking about, depending on the context where you find the churches that have been multiplied, some of them are meeting under a tree as I speak to you. They meet under a tree. You can find a big tree and people are meeting there. They are comfortable. They are meeting under a tree. They multiply other churches that meet under a tree. Some of them meet in classrooms. You know, some of them we meet in a building. Whatever the Lord provides, that's where we meet. Some of them meet in houses. Wherever the Lord provides. In other countries where there's really restriction, the church moves so fast. You can't meet in the same place for a very long time. Because they are going to find out where you are. So the church is always on the move. They are always moving. And they deal with a lot of codes. You know, they have their own codes that they will talk about so that if you're outside the church, you're not going to understand where they are going to meet and what the code look like. So, embracing multiplication is something that we have to really bring home. It's something that is very important. Every week, we see churches being multiplied. Every week, 
Churches have been multiplied. Churches have been planted. So we start with a family of peace. It becomes a group. And then several groups. And those groups become churches. With leaders being raised there. And the intention we normally say within six months. When it becomes a church within six months. That church should be thinking of planting another church. Because I want you to know. It is easy for a church to reproduce its kind when it's young. Than when it's old. Before the people fall into the what we call the church tradition. When they are young. You know when you are young when you got saved. You are on fire. You want to take the whole world and run with it. You have so much energy. But the moment you begin to fall in what we call the church culture, you begin to have the church language. Then what begins to happen is that that strength, that energy, that zeal begins to die out. So when they are young, it is easy for you to reproduce other churches and wait until you fall into the church culture. So we try to avoid that as much as possible. So churches are reproducing their kind and they meet in different places. Depending on the country where they are, they, some countries really, they, they just run around. They move from place to place where the church is meeting. And in a very difficult country, we keep the group very small. As we multiply, it has to be small. Everybody in that team should know everybody. You will, I mean, it will surprise you to know that in other countries, they are watching. They are really watching you. They are watching every step. They will try to do everything to track you down. So the church has to be wise also. You know, to, to continue to change their shape, moving from place to place. I will not give you the name of the country, but, you know, in some of the countries, even meeting to pray is a difficult thing. So we devised some methods. We told the believers there, if you have vehicles, what you would do is that when we have a global day of prayer and you want to pray, every family gets into a vehicle, have several vehicles, and in your vehicles, you can drive around the city and you are praying. You are just driving, but you are praying in the vehicle. You don't need to be in a house for God to hear your prayer. He can still hear your prayer in that car. So we use every different strategy depending on how challenging the community is. So it is important for us, multiplication is just a must. We encourage, we coach it, we teach it, and we leave it out. We model it for others to see that we need to multiply. Even for me as a leader, I want you to know, for example, this year my goal is I have to plant 10 churches. That is my goal as a leader. I literally have to go to those communities to do it. So there are times when I have friends here who will call and they're not getting me. They're sending email. I'm not replying. They get frustrated. I say, guys, look, I might be somewhere in the boonies. I don't even need to take my phone because it will be a recipe for disaster. I have to do this. I have to model it out. I have to leave it. So it is very, very important. And so there's so many leaders that we have reproduced. I mean, that God has raised and multiplied in this process. Different type of leaders at different levels in different areas. I still remember one of the, one of my disciples, we went to the village and he was the one that chased us out with a machete. He chased us out. It was a Ramadan season. And he chased us out. Okay. So we came back, we prayed, and we used another strategy to get to that same community. And he became the person of peace. He became the person of peace, got saved, and in training, one day he was invited in the training for the leaders. 
And then he saw the people that he has been running, chasing with machete. Then he came to realize that these are the same people. And we are teaching him the strategy to use the same strategy in reaching out to other communities. So embracing multiplication is very important. We just don't stop to small groups. We move beyond small groups. That those small groups become churches that begin to perform the function of a church. I want to say this. If we are going to do all of these things, something is very important. And I want, I'm, I just want them to project something that needs to happen if we are going to do these things. We need strategic shifts. We need a strategic shift. Yes, please. We need to shift from being professional to ordinary people. If we keep on being professional, we will not be able to do this. We need ordinary people. There should be a shift from expensive to cheap. We need to have a paradigm shift from expensive, making it to very cheap, easy that anybody can do it. You know, we have to have a shift from being slow to go fast a little bit. You start slow so that you can go fast at the end. You start small so that you can go big. So the, the opposite of our, our present day evangelists is that we want to start very big. And there, start, and there are times we start big and we end very small. But we have to start slow so that we can go fast. Many times there is only one generation. Many of us, what we try to do is that we raise churches and disciples that only last one generation. When we are, when we are dead and gone, that's the end. No. But we should think about many generations. Many generations after we are gone. This thing should continue. Jesus was thinking generationally. That's why he had those disciples. And then from knowledge-based to obedience-based. We have to move from knowledge-based to obedience-based. There should be that shift. Yes. We have to move from being a spectator to a participant. Many times, you know, that's what we are talking about. We are more spectators. We are not participants. We keep on saying, oh, that's good. You know, as our brother was saying, that is good. We are just spectators. You know, for I know soccer better than the American football, even though I'm trying to follow. But in soccer, if you are always on the touchline warming up and you don't get into the field, I mean, there's no use for that. You need to be a participant. We need to move from to evangelize to disciple. You need to move from that. Just evangelizing to making disciples. We need to move from centralized and decentralized the work. It has to be decentralized. You know, in, in many places, in many areas. We have to have a shift from doing to catalyzing. You have to do it through other people. You know, you have to raise other people. Do it through other people. Do it through partners. Do it through other churches. Not you alone just doing the work. And we have to priority on save. Our priority has to be on the lost. Many times the priority is on the saved people. But it has to be on the lost. Jesus said, I came for the lost. He did not come for people who are saved. So when you meet some people who are arguing, this will not work, and they argue, leave them alone. They are saved. They don't need Jesus. Look for people who are lost. You know, our challenge we have is that we are arguing and spending a lot of our energy with people who are already saved. Or who think in their mind they are saved. Leave them. Go and look for the lost. Because with time, Jesus is going to raise the weak so that they can put to shame those who are strong. He's going to shame the, uh, raise the foolish thing of the world to shame those who think they are wise. So the issue here is I call it the power of foolishness. You go out, forget about those who think they know it, and look for the lost people. 
That was the business of Jesus. If we are going to see movements happen, we need a strategic shift or else it will not happen. Thank you very much. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. I want to ask uh, Dave Clayton and uh, Corey to come back up, and we want to really lean into this conversation uh, on multiplication, and then in a few minutes, we'll also have Jim Putman and Bill come up, and we're going to talk about uh, these principles that we've been learning and how they apply here. So um, we introduced Corey yesterday and Dave Clayton. The great thing about uh, Corey and uh, Dave is they're both leading uh, relatively new churches, uh, and they're planting churches, so I know this is already going to be a sweet spot for you guys in terms of the desire for multiplication. Uh, Shudonki, that was really good, and, and those contrasts were really on the money, so thank you for that. Uh, Corey, why don't you jump in, give us some of your reflections. Um, I think the biggest one is is we're talking about all these things in the context of the United States, and I think what is really difficult is, I wrote down on here, our biggest obstacle to what everything Shadonke just said is, it is extremely lucrative and comfortable to be a minister in the United States. And um, what that has done is, because we're comfortable, there's growth barriers to churches, and we both experience these. Uh, and one of the first growth barriers all of you are going to reach in this room is 200 people. And that is completely dependent on the pastor. And the performance of the pastor, and I hate the word performance, but the pastor to go out into the community and grow the body. And then from two to 700 people, the big growth barrier there, and this is where we really get into a problem, is organization. And so I think the reason why most churches don't grow as a single unit and then multiply into more units is at the core of our hearts, when we get past about the 700-person mark, and it's not just one campus, it's multiple campuses, and it's not just on a video screen, you're actually having to train people up to go out, like what David does very well, training them to go out. What that does is I might have to sacrifice some of my salary, might have to sacrifice some of my time, I might have to sacrifice some of the attention and affirmation on me in order to share that with other people. And if we really get to the core of our hearts, a lot of pastors don't want to do it. Because we make good salaries, we don't have to work too hard if we have a church of about 300, and that is no offense to anyone in this room that has a church that size, but in Middle Tennessee where we are, you can pastor a church of 300, make a six-figure salary, play golf three days a week, and, and this is a pretty good life, and it is not the kingdom of God, and it is not right, and it's not what we're supposed to do. And so everything he listed on those three slides was everything countercultural 
to at least the area that David and I are, and you are from. And so you can go to our area, make a buttload of money. Sorry, that was crass. And then maybe it wasn't crass. Maybe that was acceptable. But uh, <laughs> you can go to our area, make a lot of money. And the reason why most people don't want to get into, and I'm going to stop after this. I think if we really ask God to search out our hearts, the idea of multiplication sounds good because I think deep into the core dark side of us, it brings more attention to our success. Mm. But the idea of multiplication is hard because, and I wrote it down and I underlined it, it takes work, time, sacrifice, a, a ton of strategy. Discipleship is hard. That's why we don't do it. And it is not instant gratification like a large Sunday service is. And so, and I think a lot of us pastors need to check our hearts, even us, and say, what are we really doing this for? The kingdom of Corey or the kingdom of God? And so that's all I had written on my paper, and I don't have to say anything else. Here's the last thing I'll say. <laughs> it hurts my feelings that you guys are laughing at that. Um, here's the danger of American Christianity right now is we make superstars out of pastors. And it is a danger, and, and, and all, we both pastor mega churches. And even if David and I are not looking for that, the congregation will want him to be that. And they will try to put him into a place that makes him something that the pastoral role was never supposed to be. And the unfortunate thing in America right now is we have bought it. And we perpetuate it, and success is not defined on all the principles he's teaching. Uh, success is defined on who just read, wrote the best book and has the biggest uh, auditorium. But that, that's it for me. I'm done. Sorry, guys. That's okay. All right, I'm going to put this down. So, let's go. Yeah. All you did. So, so Shinonke, uh because I've been to Sierra Leone, the same pressures are there, though, uh, with the bigger churches mm -hmm. and uh, the, the pastors wanting to focus some attention. Uh, you, you guys are dealing with that as well, correct? Yeah, I mean, you know, they, one of the things that... In, in all throughout history, one of the things that normally happens is that superpowers don't only, they don't only transport the powers they have, they also transport their cultures, good and bad. Yeah. They transport all around the world. And so we have a lot of pastors that want to be in what he's saying, and, and they love it, and they kind of drive around really enjoying it. Yeah. Well, for me, the issue is that really I'm not in the business to judge others. I leave that to God to decide. But my own business is to do what Christ has called me to do. And that is, I want to be Christ-like. I just want to live like him. I want to do things. So if he sat with prostitutes, I want to go there and sit down with them. <laughs> you know, if he ate with the drug addicts, I am there with them. I have seen prostitutes. I, I, <laughs> let me say this. <laughs> I, we had a, a very renowned prostitute house, not too far from where we meet in our gathering. And honestly, most of the time as pastors, what the pastors did was just to judge them. And one day I was praying and the Lord said, why are these people judging those people? Have you ever gone there to show them my love? I repented to God. I said, God, of course I've been hearing all this judgment, but I've not said anything about it. And I said, Lord, if you give me the grace, I'm going to go there. And so I went there one Sunday. After worship, I went. I met the ladies in the house and I greeted them and I said, I'm here to visit and I'm here for business. And they said, oh, yes. And I, I had some of my disciples with me. And I asked them, how much do you charge for hour when you have your customers? And they told me the price. I said, okay, I'm going to pay all of you for one hour, at least. At least. And I, but my own policy, I want us to sit down here and talk. 
Nobody takes the phone because when you, your customers pay, you don't take phones. You just sit down here so that we talk. And they said, oh, that is easy. And so we sat down and we started to talk. I will never forget. I asked them, why are you doing this? And when this lady started to talk, I wept. I really wept. I could not hold my tears. You know, thinking about the injustice of society, how some of them got themselves in the place where they are. And the second question I asked them, is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? And they said, no. If we have an alternative, we want to do the alternative. And I asked them, what do you want to do? Each of them told me, some of them business. and But one of them, the leader of all these ladies, the leader said, do you know you are the very first person who is, you know, a Christian that has come here? He said, I want to be like you. If you can help me be like you, it will be great. The summary of the story is that I took them at their word. We discipled them. We, were, we coached them in business. Different people came and coached them. And they all, some of them started businesses. One of them wanted to be a caterer. We sent her to a catering school. And this leader, we sent this leader after discipleship. She went into a college to study Bible. She was on top of her class. All three hours. She was doing a diploma. She finished on top of her class. Straight A's. Today she's married to one of the leading pastors in our country. She can sing. She can speak. And the other lady, she is, as I speak to you, President, in Holland. She was doing, she was working in a hotel and a guy came from Holland to visit, saw her, fell in love. And she was scared to get married. They came to me and we went out and I told the guy, I said, do you really know this lady? He said, yes, I know her. I said, no, I want to tell you everything about her. Which I told her everything about her background. And the guy said, in fact, I even love her all the more now that I know this. And that's how they got married. As I speak to you, they are present in Holland. And they are invested in what we are doing. So the issue here is that, the point I'm saying is that, we have to be ready to get our hands dirty for him. But the problem is, as my brother was saying, we really don't want to get our hands dirty. Because pastors are really good at telling everyone else to do it. That's what we're really good at. Especially as the church gets bigger, we're really good at saying, man, it is your job to go out to your community. And it is not the case. It's 100%. He's 100% correct. Dave. You know, I think when, when I was listening to you talk about multiplication and you're breaking it down and you're talking about disciples and churches and intercessors, you know, I was thinking through our American ears. I think a lot of times we hear the word multiplication. And at least I tend to think quick and a lot, you know, I I tend to think big things. But I think the reality, you know, you sort of showing those shifts at the end. And I think sometimes in church, especially in the North American context, the moment we abandoned the familial language and adopted organizational language, we made things so much more complex. And if you think about multiplication in the biological sense, it, it, it just makes... It makes a lot of sense. Like even you think about like I've got kids and my goal is not just for them to mature but for them to one day grow up and to multiply, right? But I understand that there's a season for both of those things and there will also be a season where they can no longer multiply, right? Like that's as we think about that that life cycle. And, and I just think about in the context of, you know, what we're called to do, it's this. It's slow, so you can go fast, right? 
Sure. I don't hear what you said. Yeah. It's, it's this idea that we are reproducing not just quantity, but quality. Yes. And if and if we if we reproduce quality, the the long game is quantity. And so I think about one of our church planters. He's an apostolic leader with us uh, in in India. And I remember Dave, will you explain what apostolic leader means? Yeah. So you know we, we use that term. Uh, somebody that has a calling from God on their life to break new ground in a region or in a city or in a in a neighborhood, and so um, he's he's helped us plant lots of churches and, and just an amazing leader. But I remember a couple of years ago I was over there in eastern India, and he and I were hanging out, and it had been kind of a tough year for him, and they hadn't seen the fruit that they had wanted to see, and he was almost apologetic because I think he was expecting me to come over and want to see all of the fruit and. He was a little down, and he made this comment that has stuck with me for a really long time. He said, we didn't have nearly as many baptisms this year as we had hoped for. And he said, but I do want you to know, he said, I know with all certainty that I'll stand before God, and every person that got baptized will finish their race well. Mm -hmm. And that just struck me. Like, he was sitting here feeling like he needed to apologize because the quantity was low. And I was looking at him, and I'm like, Pish, the, the, the fruit is good. The fruit is good, and I think if I think if if we could hear what you were talking about, and not hear it through the lens of, yeah, it's quantity. We want more quantity because we love that we love that metric mm. of quantity. If if we hear it through, hey Lord, would you help us to reproduce by the power of the Spirit quality sons and daughters into the kingdom of God that will bear all of the fruit of King Jesus? Um, I think the. I think the other stuff works to that. And Shadonke, maybe maybe you'd push back on that. I, that's what I was hearing as you were talking is, you know, it's it's not that you abandon, you know, going fast or multiplication, but you said we start small to go big. We start slow to go fast. Was I hearing you yep. correctly on that? Mm-hmm. And I, I would love for you to kind of, uh, how do you see that at work in your leaders as you're wrestling with that tension of, now we want to multiply you out quickly. But we also want you to to keep maturing in, in the ways of God. How do you guys live in that tension? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's really what Jesus really did. Uh, his method was he came, he looked for 12 guys. I mean, look at those 12 guys. I, I said yesterday, if, if I had not known the Bible and studied the life of Jesus, none of those 12 guys would qualify to be leaders in my church. You look at Peter, he speaks before he even, he speaks before he thinks. You know, that was Peter. He would talk, then later he would think. <laughs> that was just him. Thomas, he will not believe anything until he sees it. You know, it's uh, he's frustrating. Thomas is very frustrating. You know, until he sees it. That is why Jesus did not go to heaven until Thomas had seen him. You know, he, he waited until... He, Thomas is the only one that Jesus said, come and touch my hands. Because he knew Thomas. And it was when Thomas has touched him, he said, my Lord and my God. That means, and then Jesus said... You know, blessed, you know, there are people who have not seen. Blessed are those who have not seen, but yet they believe. Thomas was that kind of guy. And you look at people like John, the elder. And John loved position so much. So you see, even in his writing, it was John and his brother who told their mother, go and tell Jesus so that we'll sit, you know, one on the right, one on the left. Very important positions. So he loved position. Even in his writing, he said, the disciple whom Jesus loved. What about the rest of the other disciples? <laughs> that tells you the man who really was a position guy. He loved position so much. You know, you look at all the other disciples. Some of them were very power conscious. Jesus knew that. But what he did was, 
he started slow with them. Gradually, he got mm-hmm. to the point and he knew that these guys would do the thing. He saw depths in them. He realized that they would be committed from their own background. And these were the guys. So starting slow is really, it's a place of quality. You really want to make sure that there's quality in these disciples. And once there's quality and they begin to obey and multiply, they are going to do the same thing. And every stage you are going to see quality leaders. Every stage you are going to see quality leaders. Because you are not just wanting to bring people today and turn them into other things tomorrow. So that is why you need to start slow. He started very slow. But remember what happened the day of Pentecost. When Peter stood up to talk, 3,000 souls were added to the church. Man, as people started to come, but each one of them, when you read Acts chapter 2, you see that every one of them, there was enough time for them to have fellowship. There was an accountability in the groups that was built. Where did they learn it? They learned it when Jesus was with them, going slow. And they passed it on. So that is the reason why we always tell people, start slow. You know, and so that you can be able to raise the leaders and, and really put very strong foundations in them. And then the building will begin to go up standing on a very strong foundation. So I, I have a question uh, about the motive for multiplication. Because <clears throat> I think uh, if we're really candid, uh, we are living here in North America. And we want the people in our churches to multiply. We, we want uh, leaders to be raised up, more groups more baptisms, more churches. We want the multiplication. But I think that the battle that we're battling with is the clarity that I, I hear from you about the Jesus option and and uh, the reality of the stakes of eternity, I don't think they burn brightly within our people by and large. And Corey and Dave, I want you to jump in on that. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that we've got to be really cautious of is um, just creating a different path to the same idol. And so, you know, we have all of these idols in our culture, you know, whether it's comfort or fame or power or uh, accumulating excess. And there, there are worldly ways to get at it, and then there are the ways, the pathways that we've created in the church to get at the same idols and not even recognize that. And so I think, you know, when you talk about things like prayer and fasting, when you talk about some of these things, um, when I hear that, it's so significant because those things invite people into the path of self-denial. Yeah, you know and in a world of self-fulfillment, how do you train people in the ways of self-denial you know, we're following the, the one that tells us to carry the cross, right? And so um, in, inviting people into that is, is, is absolutely key. You know, one of the things that we found is, you know, we just came in this season where we prayed and fasted for every person in our city by name. We had people 24 hours a day through the watch for 30 straight days in, in a room praying over every person by name. 1.8 million cards. The guy in the front row, he printed them up. 55 hours to hand cut those cards, you know, but we're praying over these names. And I was asking these people praying, I said, what happened when you were in that room praying all night? And they said, for the first time in a long time, I didn't think about myself anymore. And and I go, I, I think as as leaders, there's this calling on on us as leaders to take out to take our people's eyes off of themselves and to fix it firmly on God and on others 
And we can only do that if we as leaders have taken our eyes off of ourselves and fixed our eyes on God and fixed our eyes on others. Absolutely. And um, and I know it sounds really, really obvious, but but a a self-centered leader will never lead a selfless people. Your church will always look like you. It will always, at the end of the day, look like you. No, he said, David, you said everything correct. Everything correct. And I think where we miss it is, is I think all of us in this room, all of us in this room need to get back and really take an honest inventory of, am I willing to put the blood, sweat, and self-sacrifice into this in order to even start laying the foundation? Because it is that slow to fast thing. If you're willing to go through that season, David kept using that word season, which I think is really appropriate. It's not like starting churches is a drudgery all the time. But if you start that slow building up the foundation, making it a part of your DNA and your culture or whatever the buzzword is, and if the pastor gets up there and paints a clear vision, this is not about a single church. It's not about a single man or woman. This is about multiplication. Then over time, when the foundation is laid and you finally pull that trigger. So we've started four churches um, and we are set, we're in a season right now to where it's going to take us about two years. Uh, we bought our building a year ago. $4.8 million. We'll have it paid off in about two years. Uh, that whole thing will pay it off. That'll free up about $1.2 million a year for us because we're aggressively paying it off. And in that two years, we're discipling up 12 men because I, I follow Jesus' model too, Shadonke, <laughs> to the best of my ability. But uh, So we're discipling up 12 guys, and we're going to go to rural areas outside of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and um, we'll be debt-free. We'll have the money. We'll have those things. And so for two years, we may not plan a church. But after that foundation is laid and it becomes a part of the DNA of what we're doing, when that trigger is pulled, man, six or eight churches will go up like it's nothing. We'll do one a month for a year probably, somewhere in that neighborhood. But it's all of us in this room doing exactly what David said and taking a step back and saying, am I going to model for my congregation? Am I going to model for the people around me what it means to do the John the Baptist and become less so he can become more and the kingdom can be greater? And the irony is, if we will choose to be less, the irony is is we are labeled as a better leader. We are looked at as a more influential person that people will come to and talk to us. So God honors it even in this life and in the next if we will if we will willingly lay down ourselves to build the kingdom. Yeah, I think one thing that is very important as we try to multiply, we always have to have in mind, you know, we have to start the way we want to with the end in mind, trying to, you know, finish strong and finish well. It is very important that all of this has to be intentional. It has to be intentional. It's somebody that is something that you are not going to be ashamed of doing because Jesus was never ashamed of doing it. He said, as you have seen me, you've seen my father. You know, I don't do anything that my father does not tell me to do. And I don't do anything that the Bible has not said, told me to do. So I do what the scripture tells me to do. If there are people out there who judges me, who criticizes me, fine, that's okay. But I'm going to do what the Father has called me to do. I'm going to be intentional in making disciples. I'm going to be intentional in multiplying. My definition of success is different from the way people define success. I define success very differently. For us, success is, you know, it's churches on people, disciples who are making disciples, leaders who are raising leaders, churches who are planting churches, intercessors raising intercessors. When, you, when this becomes part of your life, then we say you are successful. Yeah. So for us, it's not about the size, it's about you doing this and it's part of your life. You wake up at night, they wake you up at night and you go, you're just doing it. It's part of your life. Then we say you're successful. 
So we have defined success in a different way. For me, that's what success looks like. And I will tell you my own culture. There are a lot of people who have trained and discipled. And we also do this through catalyzing with other partners. We have people from different churches, different groups. We train, we coach them, we release the, the, the DNA. And they are seeing success of their ministries. Time will not allow me to tell you testimonies after testimonies of churches who were missionary churches who have not planted churches since the missionaries left. Never. They were just maintaining what was left. And then we became partners, we trained them, we coached them, we equipped them, and today they are planting churches. So it's, it's really decentralizing the whole thing. It's not about you. Let me tell you interesting stories. There are times we have what we call Okada. Okada is motorbikes. It's a taxi there. You can take it from one place to another. So we reach out to these Okada guys. We have guys who ride Okada, would have been trained, and we reach out to them. So there are times I just jump on top of one Okada, and for two hours, I will take them for two hours. But I know by the time the two hours really complete, honestly, we are going to become friends, and at least you will hear something about my friend Jesus. <coughs> so when I tell people when I'm coming back, I said, I'm going to Mount Pleasant. The area I stay is called Mount Pleasant. Say, I'm going to Mount Pleasant. And they say, oh, oh, you are going to that guy, that, that pastor. I say, yes, I'm going to that pastor. Do you know him? They say, oh, yes, we know him. They are telling me about myself. On top of the motorbike, the guy is riding. He's talking about me. And he's riding me. He's telling me about myself. And he said, I'm taking you to this guy. <laughs> he has heard about my name, but he has never seen me. Because for us, it's high impact, low visibility. That's good. You know, it's high impact, no visibility. You, it's let God be seen. It's not about you. It's not about your denomination. It's not about your church. Let God be seen all the time. Whether it's going to be in prison, whether it's going to be prostitutes, whether it's going to be in subconscious, let him be seen and present him and him alone. That's good. High impact, low visibility may be one of the best things that's been said in the last two days. <laughs> that is one of the greatest things. It is it's a, a wonderful line. phrase. Okay, I want to. We want to have a transition now. I'm going to ask uh, uh, Bill Hall and Jim Putman if you will come up. Uh, in fact, in fact, why don't you guys come on up, Bill and uh, Jim? And we're going to try to do something. We probably need a couple of extra chairs. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Uh, as they're coming up, I want to mention something. Uh, just that. No, no. If you'll stay. In fact, if you can be at the end. Uh, this is. I'm going to try something that's actually going to be a little bit of a hard conversation because we want to we want to try to get down to brass tacks with questions of what works in North America in terms of disciple making movements and uh, if if some of these things do they need to be tweaked uh, to work here in North America and and so I'm going to really try to have an honest uh, transparent conversation with everybody um, and uh, Shidonka I know you uh, fairly well and you believe <clears throat> what you've described with these five movement principles, you believe it can happen here in North America. There's no doubt in your mind. Why? Uh, well, the, the simple why is that you can't limit God. God can never be limited. You know, anytime you begin to limit God, then he's not God. If he can create the world, and I mean, look how beautiful our world is, and look at what you know, you look at what he did, and then you look at the way he created man. He's, that's his masterpiece of his creation. If he can do that, then one of the things we tell others, don't limit God. And I have seen God 
work in communities, in areas, in the lives of people, I'm telling you, who are pretty tough than the Americans. I've seen them. I've seen them, how Jesus has brought them to the saving knowledge of the Lord. So I believe that it is not impossible for him to do what he has said. The only thing is that, you know, he can use anyone. If those that he has called are not willing, he's going to use something else. He can use stones to do this here. If the people that he has called refuse to do it, he will raise stones to do what he has called, he wants the church to do. I'm very sure that he would do it. So I believe he can walk anywhere. My prayer for the church here is always, my prayer is that, that they will keep their hearts open, their minds open. And rather than inviting God to come and join them in what they are doing, that they will find out what God is doing and join God. I think when they join God in what God is doing, it's easy for prayer to come to pass. It's easy for these other things to happen. I think we should stop inviting God to our churches and just find out what he's doing and join him in what he's doing. That's good. All right. So, um, Bill, you've been thinking about these things. What's your reaction now having spent the time to go through and look at these five principles and deal with some of these questions? You and I did a podcast for the Bonhoeffer Project a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about some of the difficulties that may exist. So what are your reflections on it? Well, there are quite a few of issues that uh, I'm sure that those of us up here will finally get to. Well, the first thing I think of is, I mean, I'm surrounded here by uh, these three men, these three pastors, American pastors, all of which have churches in the thousands, none of which are a level five church. All right, so what is it that, why haven't we found a level five church? Is it because they don't exist? Is it because that we're just that bad at it? Uh, have, uh, is our faith too small? Is our culture too corrupt? You know, why is it that, uh, and are we setting, you know, one word that keeps bothering me about this report, the word that keeps coming to mind is tyranny. What I mean, it's just another way to point out how we failed. Now, I look at this over the years, and I look back to when I first started pastoring back in the 1970s. There was a church growth movement. Church growth movement essentially said you needed to have 15% net growth a year and to measure everything. And they gave us a paradigm. So people were really involved in that. Uh, then we went and we've moved and morphed through different phases over the last 40 years, 50 years. And I've uh, happily been alive during all those 50 years and uh, that I've been able to observe uh, what's been happening in our culture. And so I, 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 in a way, I think that the church that I know is healthier and more on point than ever it has been in my adult life. That's a thought. I, I, a clear, a clear, that's very clear to me. When I hear these statistics about how we're declining and the number of people who, some of the things you mentioned, 
uh, that's concerning, but I don't know how much of that when they start breaking down the numbers that it, that involves evangelicals. Uh, but my concern is balance. How, how, how can we aspire to what level five is? At the same time, the 95% of people in America who aren't even at level four, uh, what's our message to them? Because they're going to feel, you know, one time uh, a good friend of mine out in California, he told me that he went to a conference, a very large church conference, and he said there was a message that came through. It was really powerful based on who the people were on the platform and the people that were in the seminars. Uh, they didn't ask somebody with a church of 50 who you started out with 75 and now they have 50 to be a main speaker. And uh, essentially what it was screaming very loud to everybody, even though you, you couldn't uh, hear it, was your church sucks. Now look at us and how we can change that. So what I'm really interested in is how we message this to the 95%. Uh, how we, you know, how do we go at this? And um, I believe that those are some of the issues that I have, some of the questions I have, that I'll just open up the can of worms and see what these guys can do with it. Okay. I'm going to get each of you guys to just weigh in, and, and <clears throat> we'll mix it up a little bit from there. Jim, uh, some of your reflections. I guess I would say uh, you can't give what you don't have. You can't show people how to do something you don't know how to do and you're not doing. And so I, I you know, started out 20 years ago. Uh, the reason I, when I got saved, I said, okay, I'll follow Jesus, but I'll have nothing to do with the church. And my reason for that was, you know, I was an athlete, and to me, the church was a losing team. Why do I want to be a part of a losing team? And it was because I believed that, you know, if Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against his church, that what that meant to me was either was he was wrong, because it was prevailing, or somehow the church wasn't his church. He didn't have any... He didn't have any obligation to bless a church. He only had an obligation to bless his church. So I, I, I went through this, this journey of going, okay, why do I want to be a part of something that's losing and really doesn't care to win? And so I, I really, um, that drove me for a long time to go, all right, what, I can't fix the church in general. All I can do is, is to the very best of my ability be something and try to try to say, okay, God, just start with me. And I don't even know. I know more about what I don't want it to be than I than I want it to be. I, I'm actually running from something more than I'm running to something. And what what is, what am I supposed to run to? What am I supposed to do? And really, what it came down to was in my own life, uh, there was a guy who was a pastor that I don't remember a sermon he ever preached, but I remember what he did in my own life as he walked through. And so I could reproduce that. And my goal was to reproduce that. You know, what was done in my life in, in the lives of other people by being a model of that and see where it went. And so more than talk about the problem, I just believe if we'll do what Jesus asks us to do and be what he calls us to be as leaders first, 
Think of ourselves as a disciple maker, not as a pastor. You know, people Good, come yeah. to our our uh, church conferences, and I and I always tell people, and our, our team tells them, stop thinking about your church for a minute. I don't want you to think about systems. I don't want you to think about processes. I want you to think about your walk with Jesus, and are you a disciple maker? And I just honestly believe. Uh, I, I listened to Shadonke's life and what he does as a person and just telling his stories. He's not telling, he is telling some stories about other people's lives and his movement, but just by listening to his stories, you can tell he is a disciple maker. He is doing these things. And because he's modeled that, it starts to ripple outward, but it starts with him. And, uh, and so what I would say more than anything else is what does it look like to be a Christ follower who actually intentionally makes disciples, who who commits their life to getting dirty, because that's what Jesus did. And if you do that, then so, rather than talking about what we're not all the time, then we we start to see... Jesus work in our life and and, and again I, I want you to remember that and I know Shadonke knows this but and because he talked about it yesterday where there are graves of pastors that risked their life over there that didn't see the fruit that he's that he's seeing but they built the foundation of faithfulness there was a season as Shadonke talks about where you didn't see all of the this stuff that's going on there but it was all essential to what is going on there. And rather than think about all the things you wish God would do, just think about being faithful with with your life and, and serving the Lord Jesus and walking with Him as a person. And then let God determine how He adds to the number daily those who are being saved. And so there are some things here, some methods, reproducible things He's talking about. But in your community, it may be that your life is spent setting the stage for what happens next. You let God worry about that. You be who God calls you to be where you are. You make disciples. And I guarantee you, if you do that, it will change the world one person at a time. Good. Dave? You know, as I was listening to you talk, I just I kept thinking about... Um, our context, and, and I believe, just you know, putting all my cards on the table, I believe without a doubt we're going to see the greatest move of God we've ever seen in our nation. Um, I, I believe we're going to see it. I don't know when we're going to see it. Tell uh, us why you believe that. Well, you know, I, I, I think what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 13, verse 30, he's talking about the, the, the end of days, right? And, and uh, I believe we're at least in the fourth quarter. I'm not making any predictions, but, you know, just put my cards on the table, I look at what's happening in the world, and I go, we're certainly not in the first days. You know? And so Jesus talks in Matthew 13, verse 30, and he's talking about the, the parable of the weeds and the wheat, right? And you remember what he says there? The disciples say, man, look at all the stuff going on. You want us to tear out all the, the weeds? And he says, no, you'll get it wrong. What's he say to him? He says, let both what? The weed and the he says, let both go together until the end. In other words, as we come towards the finish line of human history, that the wicked are going to get better at being wicked and the righteous are going to get better at being righteous simultaneously. That's right. That's right. And look what's happening in the world. And I go, okay, right. the wicked are getting better at being wicked, so it's our time. That's right. It's our time. And I believe 
that Acts chapter 2 is not just this thing we're trying to get back to, it's this thing we're being launched from. It's this, it's this, um, and, and don't write a blog about it. I'm, I, I, you know, like, I love the scriptures and I, I live under the authority of these scriptures, but I go, man, I believe God is launching us into a kingdom future and, and, and I believe that we are seeing spiritual tremors all across the world right now. Um, I believe, um, you know, you think about we're, we're in this election year and you think about in an election year, um, there's battleground states, right? Where there's this disproportionate amount of energy on a, a state here and a state there. And I believe we're living in a battleground country. I believe there's a disproportionate amount of spiritual focus on our country. And I believe there's a reason for that. And, 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 and I'm hopeful. Um, uh, there, there's a lot of tough stuff um, going on. But man, I, I see God. I see God moving. I'm believing that whenever God is in the equation, that you're on the right side of the equation. That when God is in the picture, it's the right picture. And that uh, we can both be realists. Like we can, we can call things what they are, but we can be marked by the hope of eternity and not be bound by what things are. And so um, I, I see that and go, I remember um, several years ago, you know, as we're up here talking, I was praying for you guys and I just felt this question coming into my heart. And I don't know if this is for all of you or maybe for just one of you, but here's a question that I just felt, and I'm not asking you to answer it out loud, but maybe just think on it. And that is, um, are you enjoying this? Like, are you enjoying this? And what I mean by this, uh, are you enjoying God? Are you enjoying your people? Are you enjoying ministry? Um, I remember years ago going to, to meet with one of my church planning heroes. I flew out to hang out with him in California for he had like three hours to hang out. And I thought, I'm going to pick his brain. I'm going to get every great strategy. Playing a lot of great churches. I took him out to this cheap uh, little fish taco restaurant and we're sitting down and I said, what's the most empower, what's the most important thing you look for in a church planner? He says, I look for a man that has thoroughly learned how to enjoy the Lord, enjoy his wife, enjoy his kids, and enjoy the mission that God's given him. So when I found a man that can enjoy those things, there's no limit to what God can do through him. And as I was just praying for you and thinking about this, I'm like, man, um, I think I think sometimes when we think about how do we make this happen, how do we do this, it can get really overwhelming. But I go, I go, man, if, if we can just be women and men, be leaders who enjoy God and enjoy our spiritual sons and daughters and just enjoy them into the kingdom of God. Man, the, the ripple effect that, that I'm not that requires strategy to do that. Um, I think the strategy is so important. I think it's so necessary. I think it's a huge part of what's going to come as we lean into the future. It's going to require strategy. But we need strategic leaders that are enjoying the Lord and enjoying those around us as, as we do it. I think about last night, you know, getting to sit in this little Airbnb that we paid way too much money for, um, you know, to be here at this conference. But, you know, until midnight, we sat in the kitchen with spiritual sons and daughters, you know, that by the grace of God, I get a run with. And I'm hoarse, not because I taught so much yesterday, but because we laughed so hard. All we did was laugh. We laughed and we worshiped the Lord and ate good food and 
And I just think about what God wants to do in you and through you as you go back to your churches. God gives you a divine strategy, but as he gives you that strategy, enjoy him. And enjoy the ones that he's given you to journey with um, as you do this. Um, so that's that's what I, I was feeling. Um, do I think it's possible in America? Yes. Are there a lot of things coming against this? Absolutely. But Jesus has told us how the story's going to end. And so as we're waiting for those things to come to bear, let's enjoy him deeply in those that he's called, called us to run with as we, as we do this. That's good. That's pure my, pure my reflection. That's good. I, I like it. Corey, um, I wanted to go back to something Bill had said. Bill's like this. It's the first time I've ever met Bill, and he's like this odd enigma to me. I just want to hang out with him. But, uh, but, but something you said, Bill, I became a Christian in 2003. So I was 23 years old. I'm 40 now. I didn't see all those shifts you saw. And it's interesting. I had such a negative perspective of where the church is now. And... Um, and, and quite honestly, if we're being honest, and Jim, you were so honest the last time you were up here, I'm just in awe of you as well. Uh, I can become quite cynical of the church, quite cynical, uh, especially in the Middle Tennessee area, where sometimes it's a it's a carnival. Um, and so, something you were talking about, you're just talking about, you know, what is success? And, and we're talking about we're talking about the difference a lot between the continent of Africa and the United States. When if you go up to Salem, Massachusetts, we're talking about a whole different universe just a couple of states away. So we work with a bunch of churches up in New England, and I, you said something interesting. We don't put the person up here who pastors the church of 75. Um, we put the pastors up here who pastor churches of 5,000. When if you have a church of 120 in Salem, Mass, you are the mega church of Salem, Massachusetts. I know that because we sponsor the only evangelical church in Salem, Massachusetts. And so when you go to an area like that, I think what is so paramount about what we're doing right now is we're all called to go to the world. Now, that does not mean that we're all called to go to India or Sierra Leone or we have a house in Uganda. That doesn't mean that we're all necessarily called to go to those areas, but called to the microcosm that is our world, my world, Corey's world. And so I think everyone in this room is going to have to be intentional enough and strategic enough and perceptive enough to say, what is success in my area? And by success, I don't mean necessarily the size of your church, but the disciples that are being made in my area. And so we're going to have to take these principles that we're learning and not compare yourself to Jim Putman's church or my church or David's church or anyone else's church, but to say, in my area, what does the kingdom of God coming to my area look like? And what is my role in that? And to take the overarching principles of everything that these brilliant men have said and somehow using that and creating a clear path in our community. And Bill, your, your perception of how you're, you're seeing the silver lining. And, and, and David, you just convicted my heart. There are times when I do not enjoy what I do. Because it can become such a drudgery. And, and what we have created the church to be, and I'm not saying those of us in this room, but if we, we have really made a mess out of something beautiful. And we've got to get back to the beauty of it. And we've got to get back to the positivity of it. And we've got to get back to the hard work and, and the relationship of it. And we've got to be so, so intentional. And, and we've got to be desperate to reach people who are lost. And I'm just reiterating all the things these brilliant men have said. But we have got to stop playing this game uh, because eternity is on the line, Bobby. Heaven and hell, everything. Okay. What's on the line? Everything's on the line. 
Yeah, for me, I think what I would encourage my brothers and sisters in this culture to do, if we want to see, you know, what Jesus really commanded us to do, um, wherever you go in the world, in our own area, there are a lot of negativities. I mean, it's just the same, because the devil is the same devil. I mean, you don't have a new, the devil don't have, you don't have a new devil, you only have a new strategy. There's no new sin in the world. It's just a new sinners. So <laughs> there's no new sin. It's just new sinners that we have. So what I would encourage us to do, all of us as a team, is one, when we leave a place like this, is to go back to God in prayer. Really go before God. If you can fast, fast. Maybe, you know, in this culture, you can fast your coffee, you can fast your, your tea, or, but just fast, do something, and spend quality time before God. And look at what is working and what is not working. And why is not working. The second thing I will encourage is that be very intentional in doing what Jesus has asked you to do. Be intentional about it. The Jesus style of doing discipleship. Just be intentional in doing what Jesus has asked you to do. The third thing is that if you have already bought into this, it's also important that you know that if this is what God wants me to do, then I have to bring others on board who also buy what I'm doing. Because you alone cannot do it. You need other people, other disciples. So you need to also train or coach others in, in this. And so that you can launch out something as a team together. It's very, very important. And once you launch out, don't look for quick results. It will frustrate you. You'll be disappointed. Don't, look, don't compare yourself with others as he's saying. Compare yourself with yourself and with God. Okay. Allow the Lord to move through this. Allow him to move through this. I will tell you. There were times in my life, I have a friend here, he's there, Franco Gennaro, we've been brothers for a very long time. He's my covenant brother, he's sitting there. He knows what I'm talking about. There were times that I wept. There were times that I really cried. There were times that I really doubted that God has even called me. There were times where I could not even have food to eat, not to even talk about feeding my family. I mean, we've gone through all of that. In those times, I saw opportunities people gave me. You know, why? when I came to the state, the opportunity of becoming a pastor here was very easy. We want you to come and be pastor in our church. We want you to be part of the staff. But I went to God and said, God, I want to do only what you've asked me to do. I was coming from a country that I've not seen drinking, I've not drank any safe drinking water for 10 years. I've not seen electricity for 10 years. I had no clothes on my back. And then all of a sudden I see all this opportunity. It takes the grace of God. But I went back to God. I went back. I said, I, if I, because of that, I went back to my country. Because God said, you go back. That's where I want you. So obeying God and following God is very important. As you do this. If this is what God has called you to do, just do it. Trust him. Believe him. And when you believe him, just let everything in his hands. You do whatever strategy. Most of my strategies I've ever built came from the Bible. My time with the Lord. And I write it down. I write those things down, those strategies down. And I begin to do it. And just believe him. So I, I really believe the problem is that when we begin to do this and we want to see a quick answer, that's a problem. And then also know that with God, 
It's not a one size fits for everyone. It's not a one size fits. You know, he is God. He can choose to, to use Jim in a different way. He can choose to do what he wants to do. You don't have monopoly over God. So don't be frustrated. If you think you can put in your small box, no, it's not possible. I believe when we have these things, and we're intentional also in multiplication. Be intentional. I want to multiply disciples. God, I want to multiply small groups. Be very intentional and begin to do it. At the end of the day, what the Lord will do is left with him. It's not really... I will tell you, if anybody had told me, maybe 20, 30 years ago, that the results that is happening today, you know, I, I will not even believe you. That is the truth. I will not believe you. I will not believe you when I was in a 40 feet container, locked up in a 40 feet container because of this gospel. No ventilation. Just locked up in there. People wanting me to deny Jesus. And what I was doing was worshipping God. And men with gone, they said, we are going to kill you. I said, I'm going to sink until I die meeting God. I never believed that this thing will happen. But today, look at what he has done. As I said, you know, most people think, say, I will tell you countries. I have gone to places because of security purposes, I will not tell you. Countries where Islam is the strongest thing, where some of the leaders in the top government, they have funded discipleship making around the world. I've sat with them, spoken with them. If I did pay for my trip, they paid for the hotel, they paid for everything that was happening. They could not come to the meeting because it's highly dangerous for them. I will tell you, in one of these countries I went to, when I finished training, he asked them that he wants to see me so that he can also have my, his own training. I got to his office. If you see me dress, you will not believe that this is the same guy sitting here. I am dressed. I have all the chanting beads that he has. I have my own chanting bead. In fact, my own is the longest. And I hold that chanting bead. I'm moving among these people. My lip is moving. And they think I'm going over the Quran. I'm just reversing memory verses in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's what I'm saying. And I'm dressed this way. I go to his office. He told the secretary, I have my business partner from Africa. We have something very serious to talk about. If anybody comes, just tell him we're in a business meeting. We got into his office. We sat down. And I'm doing this thing that I'm training him, coaching him. And he has this big wall of books. He just press, and then the, the things turn like this, and he had his Bible at the back. He took his Bible out, and we sat down, and we discussed. And he said, Shudanke, I'm the most happiest person among the leaders in this place. Always I'm happy. They ask me, why are you so happy? He said, I cannot tell anyone I'm happy. He said, I'm happy because of Jesus. He said, keep on doing this. He said, we are people who need this exactly. The world is dying for Jesus. There are areas where people are dying every day. They know they will die. But they still go out and bring this Jesus. I want to challenge you. You know, one of the things that really freaked me out with you people is that you are always talking about, you know, we can't do it in America. All these things are happening in America. There are worse places in the world where things are happening. You just don't know about it. Worse places. But I'm here, sitting here to tell you, that our God that we serve is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. 
And as far as I know, there's nothing that our God cannot do. Nothing, absolutely. Nothing. And I am believing God in my own lifetime, in the lifetime of some of these guys, that we see a discipleship making movement in this nation. I am convinced in my heart, I will not die. I will be alive to see it happen here. Because God has people whose heart, still, whose heart is after God, who are thirsty and hungry for God. And God will use their hunger and their thirst. He will use that. And he will use it to create disciples that will make disciples that will make disciples. Write it down. I challenge some of you here. You will live and see it. In the midst of the negative, God is an expert in working among negative and taking the foolish things and making it really strong and wise. That is my, that's my belief. That's my conviction. And I will die holding on to that conviction. And I believe strongly because I've seen God bring people to him. I have my disciples. I will tell you, they cannot even count how many people they killed during the war. They will not even count how many people they killed. I have disciples who, some of them had their fingers cut out from grenades. Who burned families in houses. Today you see that you will never know that they were this kind of guys. Who, when people hear their name, they will run. Today, they are making disciples. They are multiplying disciples. If God can do it through those people, he can do it in this nation. That is my conviction. The only thing, he's going to do it in his own timing. And he's going to do it his own way. Not our own way, not in our own timing. And that's where we are frustrated. We want to happen in our own way, in our own timing. It's going to be his timing and his own way. But I believe strongly that it will happen in this nation. Before Jim is taken away, it will happen. I believe he will be alive to see it. You will be alive to see what God is going to do. In this Did you point at me? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I did not skip you. But I am convinced in my heart. I believe it in my heart. Because I see those small steps. I am seeing those small fruits that I saw many years ago in countries that we are visiting. I've seen those fruits. I've seen those steps. And I'm seeing the same hunger in the heart of some of the people as I speak today. I see that hunger. I see holy discontentment in the heart of people, even on the stage. And that is a good place to start. That is where I start. I'm believing God for that. And I'm trusting God. Someday, maybe not on this podium, somewhere we'll sit and we'll remember what I said here today. It's my conviction. Thank you. Amen. I'm going to ask you to lead us in a closing prayer, Shinonke. After he prays, uh, we've got a few extra minutes. Uh, you can talk to uh, Jim about RDN, uh, Bill about the Bonhoeffer Project, and then if you want to know some about the RDN lunch, you can come and, or the uh, Renew lunch, you can see me. I'll be here. But please close us with prayer. May, may your prayer be the last thoughts we hear. Father, you are more than what people say, Jehovah. You are more than what people say. You are more than what people know, Jehovah. You are more than what people know. You are more than what people say, Jehovah. You are more than what people. I am that I am. You are excellent. You are wonderful. You are more than what people say. You are excellent, you are wonderful, you are more than what people say. 
You are bigger than what people know, Jehovah. You are bigger than what people know. You are greater than what people know, Jehovah. You are greater than what people. I am that I am. You are excellent. You are wonderful. You are bigger than what people say. You are excellent. You are wonderful. You are bigger than what people say. You are higher than what people say, Jehovah. You are higher than what people say. You are bigger than what people know, Jehovah. You are bigger than what people. I am that I am. You are excellent. You are wonderful. You are higher than what people say. You are excellent. You are wonderful. You are higher than what people say. Father, you said in your word that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. The world and they that do it therein. For you have founded this world upon the seas and you have established it upon the floors. Who may ascend into the heat of the Lord? He who has a clean hands and a pure heart. Who has committed the soul unto vanity? No son deceitfully. He shall receive the blessings of the Lord. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, O everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, O everlasting doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. The God of Jacob. He is the king of glory. Father, with man it is impossible, but with you all things are possible. Father, you said to us that we that dwell in the secret place of the Most High, we shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We will see of the Lord, you are our refuge and our strength, our God in whom we will trust. Surely you shall deliver us from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Father, there is nothing that you cannot do. We are gathered here today searching your word. Listen to your word. Father, we commit our hearts into your hands. Forgive us, God, for where we have doubted you. Forgive us for our many, many failures, our daily failures, God. Forgive us, God. Cleanse us from every unrighteousness, Father. My Lord and my God, no man can approach you, Father God, in an unrighteous way. We come to you, Father, asking you, God, to forgive us and to cleanse us. We know there's power in the blood of Jesus and in the name of Jesus. We stand upon the authority of the word of God today and we declare that you, O Lord Father, will keep us. You will guide us. You will protect us. You will lead us. You said in your word that the step of a righteous man is being ordered by the Lord. Order our steps, God. Order our step on a daily basis. Or else we will fail. Or else we will fall. Or else we will deny you. Order our step every day and every second. My Lord and my God. We pray, God, for this great nation and the church in America. Father God, what man sees, God, Father, they see something that is not beautiful. They see something, God, that has, Father, oh Lord, that is a mess. But I know when you sit above, you see, God, you, God, you see your bride. You are coming back for this bride. That is a beautiful God. A bride that you are going to shape. Therefore, we pray for the church in America. We pray in the name of Jesus that you open the eyes of the men and women of God in this nation. Open their eyes to see you afresh. To see you anew in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that there will be holy discontentment in their hearts. God, in the name of Jesus, steer their passions that you have given them. Father, use them as instruments 
instruments of change. Every one of them that are faithful, that have been called, that are hungry. Father, use them as instruments of change in this nation. That they will make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. That churches will multiply anew in this great nation. And God, they will send out missionaries again who will make disciples who will make disciples. Father, we want this to happen in our own lifetime. In the name of Jesus. Without you, we can do nothing. None of us in this place, none of us can do anything without you. Therefore, Father, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill every one of us with your power. Father, we pray that our hearts will be obedient to you. Even when it doesn't make sense to us, let our hearts be obedient to you, to follow you. In the midst, God, of the challenges and the demands of this world. Heavenly Father, help us to be authentic, to be honest to ourselves. Help us, Father God, not to be afraid, God, not to be ashamed, God, to God to just be open, God. Father in heaven, you love us. You are such a wonderful Father, such a great Father. Father, you love us so much that you gave us your only begotten Son. What a great love. We are here because of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We pray, God, that you will keep this great nation. Keep the church. It is your bride. And you are coming back for this bride. Thank you very much. Because, God, you are not coming for any other bride but this bride. You are going to make this bride more beautiful. You are going to make this bride, Father God, oh Lord, Father, oh Lord. You are going to make this bride so wonderful. In your own way and in your own timing. And Lord will say, we are here. Use us. We use us. We are nothing. God just... Use us the way you want to use us. To bring a change to this nation that you have given your servants. Father, increase the church. Father, multiply it, God, with power and might. In the name of Jesus. That we'll have men and women that will stand up and say, Thus says the Lord. Without shame. Father, oh Lord, without apologies, God. We thank you. But Father, above it all, make us very broken. Every speck of pride in our lives, arrogance in our lives, God. Every speck of knowledge, thinking that it's all about knowledge. We surrender everything to you. And we say, God, from today, make us so broken. And help us to do it the Jesus way. The King Jesus way, God. We thank you. We glorify you. Father, we promise you. When you have done all of this in this nation, we promise you. We will not touch your glory. We will not touch your glory. All glory belongs to you. All honor belongs to you. All praise belongs to you. Therefore we cry, give us America again, Father. Give us America. Give us America. Give us the world in the name of Jesus. For your honor and your glory. Thank you, Lord. We glorify you. We magnify you. If there's anyone among us that is confused and tormented, we pray that your word and your spirit, God, will fill them with joy and lead them today. If anyone is sick, we still believe that you are the greatest physician that ever walked the face of the earth. That you will heal them, God. We thank you, Lord. We glorify your name and we magnify you. Take every honor. Take every glory. Even out of this place, let there be testimonies abounding to the goodness of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, God.
Well, there you go. That was the end of the Exponential Pre-Conference 2020 audio. If you have been with me through the whole time, then you have found out a lot of really cool things about disciple-making movements that are happening around the globe and how those are being contrasted with the tiny little sparks happening around North America. It's a really cool thing to hear that happening. And it's also really cool to hear from someone like Shadanke speaking into us church leaders here in North America on how to do it and how to do it well and how to do it right. So this has been awesome for me. I hope it has been for you. Um, So as I conclude this episode, just want to remind you, November 4th and 5th, we're hosting a National Disciple Making Forum again here in Nashville, Tennessee at Brentwood Baptist Church. And if you go over to discipleship.org, you can go ahead and purchase your tickets today. And you're not going to want to miss this because I just have a feeling this is going to be an amazing conference. We couldn't do it last year. We had it all online. We did the best that we could. People are ready to come back together and worship God together in one big massive room and to find out how we can be better at making disciples at our churches and in our communities. So go sign up and I hope to see you guys there November 4th and 5th. Have a great day.